Hello and welcome to a supplemental episode of For Your Reconsideration, the podcast where we re-examine best picture races and determine if the Academy got it right. Uh, I'm Devin. And I'm Kyle. And this week we're looking at, um, in our last episode, we talked about the 25th Academy Awards honoring the best films of 1952. So today we're looking at three films that were not nominated for best picture, but maybe should have. Do you want to dive into this, Kyle? Uh, yeah, we're, start, we're kicking off with the movie? Yeah. Yeah. There's no. Oh yeah, all the facts. I guess all the facts done in the last the episode. Other. If you want facts, go listen to last yeah, week's re- episode. Tune back in. Okay. Up first, the bad and the beautiful, directed by Vincent Minnelli, screenplay by Charles Schnee, story by George Bradshaw. I took you out of the gutter. I can fling you back. Oh. Told in flashback form. The film traces the rise and fall of a tough, ambitious Hollywood producer, Jonathan Shields, as seen through the eyes of various acquaintances, including a writer, James Lee Bartlow, a star, Georgia Lorison, and a director, Fred Emile. He is a hard-driving, ambitious man who, ruth- who ruthlessly uses everyone on the way to becoming one of Hollywood's top movie makers. It's a pretty good synopsis. Yeah, it wasn't bad. Yeah. I think the one on IMDb was just like, a producer yeah it's just an unscrupulous movie producer uses an actress a director and a writer to achieve success yeah there you go not bad also accurate so yes all right you want to know some facts about the bad and the beautiful i sure do all right uh so it's produced by mgm as you said written by george bradshaw and charles schnee the film was based on a 1949 magazine story of good and evil by george bradshaw which was expanded into a longer version called memorial to a bad man which I actually think would have been like a better title for the movie, but uh, they didn't a, little, ask me. a little more complicated, honestly. This is a little easier on the. On I know. The I think the bad and the beautiful actually has like nothing to do with what this movie is about, though. I know, but like, uh, it seems enticing. You know, you want to I see mean, the bad yeah. and the beautiful. <laughs> I suppose. Yeah. All right. <clears throat> there has been much debate as to which real life Hollywood legends are represented by the film's characters. At the time of the film's release, stories about its basis caused David O. Selznick, whose real life paralleled in some respects that of the father obsessed independent producer Jonathan Shields, to have his lawyer view the film and determine whether it contained any libelous material. Interesting. Did it? I suppose not, because he did not sue them. So. Okay. Uh, the Georgia Lorison character is the daughter of a great profile actor like John Barrymore. Diana Barrymore's career was in fact launched the same year as her father's death, but it can also be argued that Lorison includes elements of Minnelli's ex-wife, Judy Garland. The director, Henry Whitfield, is a difficult director modeled on Alfred Hitchcock and his assistant, Miss March, is modeled on Hitchcock's wife, Alma Reville. The other director, Von Elston, may be modeled after Eric von Stroheim and Joseph von Sternberg. The James Lee Bartlow character may have been inspired by Paul Elliott Green, the University of North Carolina academic turned screenwriter of The Cabin in the Cotton. Uh, one of the producers, Houseman, later said, quote, The producer was thought to be Selznick, and of course it largely is, but, well, is Citizen Kane Hearst? Yes, it is Hearst, but also Pulitzer and a lot of other legendary people. So it was Selznick, Zanuck, and all others, just as the foreign director could be Stroheim or Fritz Lang. When you start to work in a legendary world, you get legendary figures. Um, at the Academy Awards, actress Gloria Graham's performance as Rosemary Barlow occupied only just nine minutes and 32 seconds of screen time and was at the time the shortest performance to ever win an Academy Award, a record she held until 1977 when Beatrice Strait won Best Supporting Actress for Network and set a new record of five minutes and two seconds. Dang. 
So there you go. What do you think of the bad and the beautiful? I thought it was fine. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I rather enjoyed a lot of it. Um, Kirk Douglas's performance was awesome. I mean, in fact, a lot of the performances were pretty good mm-hmm. in the movie. And I really liked the big set pieces and like, obviously inside Hollywood stuff is always fun. And uh, taking a swing like this in the early 50s was kind of interesting, too. Um, but yeah, I mean, overall, again, I, I enjoyed it for its its charms and, and the, the the little Citizen Kane-ish, you know-esque, mm-hmm. uh, you know, kind of attacks or profiles, pieces or whatever. Um, and it was, you know, it was melodramatic fun for mm-hmm. a lot of it too uh so i enjoyed it i enjoyed it overall i thought it was fine but i don't know if it w- well i guess we'll get to that but i don't know if it's like best picture worthy sure at the end of the day i really enjoyed it i think it is a melodrama but i think it's a melodrama that holds up in 2020 i think a lot of the melodramas can sometimes read a little um over the top to a modern perspective but sure. i think this one really does hold up well and i think like i included that quote from houseman talking comparing it to citizen kane and as you just compared to citizen kane because i think this is very much a direct ripoff of citizen kane yeah yeah <laughs> like 100 percent. and so no it's not as good as citizen kane but no. i think that that kind of like using that as a reference point is part of the reason it seems more sure. modern as well um because it does have those flashbacks it has the different perspectives um as you said the performances are very good um kirk douglas is good lana turner is good um yeah i thought it was a good time it's entertaining yeah i i want to talk a little bit too about the device itself which is yeah. kind of what makes the movie for me mm-hmm. um they bring you know this at this director this star and uh the writer the writer um in for a meeting we don't know where uh the shields is at this moment he's in paris but we know yeah. he's not in hollywood he's trying to reach everybody he can't finally they all come in for a favor from the old studio exec and uh that's when you know we kind of do the yeah the flashbacks to each of their own story and then it comes back at the end with finally they get shields on the line and you know he really wants to make another movie with them um he's just asking you know for a second chance and they initially leave you about to spoil that and walk away (laughs) what but i just mean like yeah (laughs) it's done really well um it's done really well about those people in our lives who maybe are self-destructive or used, but like, uh, the whole idea of like second chances is I think really important. And it kind of just leaves on a note where there's, there's hope whether it happens or not. I think it, it shows that we should all, you know, uh, take time to really think about giving those, those, those second shots. That's interesting. Cause I felt like the movie was really like, pushing this idea because i mean as they each like tell their story about jonathan Mm -hmm. shields or whatnot like when it gets done the the movie exact guy like the producer is you know like oh yeah you hate jonathan shields but because of him you're successful like pointing out all the ways that they're successful because of him and that's true but i think that like it kind of like that was annoying me because i'm like okay they're successful because of the things that he did but that doesn't mean that he didn't personally wrong them sure especially in the case of the of the writer Uh, writer. (laughs) that is like the one case that is like extremely upsetting though because like (laughs) it is it's the only unforgivable instance for sure even though like what he was trying to do was not to obviously 
harm this man's wife. No, but I mean, like, but, but it's that manipulative. And I think what yeah. he did to, I mean, to Georgia Lorison is really unforgivable, too. He manipulated her feelings. No, I think his, it escalated each time with each story. They told it in a, in a proper order. I agree. He like he had a complete lack of regard for their lives, and yeah. like yeah, their careers turned out well because yeah. of him. But I mean, that doesn't change the things he did to them personally. I know, but that's what also makes it interesting to me is because these are still three people who are now involved in the Hollywood system, remain in the Hollywood system. True. And you know what? Do they really care at the end of the day? That's I know, what I the like movie kind of leaves us with, like, which oh, I well. think is really interesting on the Hollywood level. I think that is like super interesting. I think so too. It's kind of like they're saying like this, like Shields was so unscrupulous. He like made them that way too that now they're like willing to hear him out if it's a good is idea. Is it he made them that way or the whole system makes everybody that way? That could be. Which also could be why this movie didn't get nominated for Best Exactly. Picture. Maybe people thought it hit a little too close to home. That's what I'm saying. I think it probably did like, you know, yeah. uh, hit some people the wrong way. Um, but yeah, I mean, it made for it made for a fun ending for sure. It did. But yeah. Well, I think we're in agreement. It was a very good film. Holds it was up. good. I mean, I thought it was... That element I truly loved. A lot of the stuff in between was kind of... Some of the stuff, like the middle part, like her section kind of went on a little longer than it yeah. needed to. Yeah, I was with it throughout the first section. Mm-hmm. And then hers kind of faded a little bit. And then I feel like the writers just went on way too long as and well. his was like the shortest. I know. But I feel like we got it. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I don't know. It, just, it felt like the the movie was like trying to give its fair share to everybody but i don't i don't think it needed it for the overall story no thank you right yeah all right you know what other people think about the bad and the beautiful yes well it has a rotten tomatoes audience score of 86 percent a critic score 79 percent the critics consensus says melodrama at its most confident the bad and the beautiful is an ode to movie making that offers unblinking insight into the ugly egos that have shaped hollywood history Love it. Um, the box office made $3.4 million. Um, it was nominated for six Oscars and won five for supporting actress, screenplay, art direction, black and white, cinematography, black and white, and costume design, black and white. And it's the most wins ever for a film not nominated for Best Picture. Oh, wow. Okay. As for its legacy, it was selected for the National Film Registry in 2002. Nice. All right. On to the next film. Mm-hmm. Forbidden Games. Direct- oh, can, you, can you give me the French title? No. Oh, okay. I thought you did research. That's fine. <laughs> Sorry. I just feel like we've had plenty of examples of that throughout our podcast, but all of a sudden now it's a big deal. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Forbidden Games. Now I'm going to butcher. I'm, I'm going to Americanize all these French names as well. So, uh, Forbidden Games, directed by Rene Clement. Written by Rene Clement, Pierre Bost, and Jean Aurench. I don't know. Based yeah, on a novel. <laughs> yeah, based on a novel by Francois Boyer. Uh, war. Huh. And how it affects the lives of our children. That's the tagline. Okay. Orphaned after. It's <laughs> no time to laugh. No. Orphaned after a Nazi air raid, Paulette, a young Parisian girl, runs into. Is it, wait, Michelle? Mm-hmm. Michelle, uh, an older peasant boy, and the two quickly become close. 
Together, they try to make sense of the chaotic and crumbling world around them, attempting to cope with death, death as they create a burial ground for Paulette's deceased pet dog. Eventually, however, Paulette's stay and Michelle's family is threatened by the harsh realities of wartime. I don't know how accurate that last sentence is, but... Uh, I mean, generally, everyone's being affected by the war, but I don't know if there's, like, yeah, a they're climactic being point by the where... war throughout the whole thing. Yeah, like... yeah, yeah. Yeah, you want to hear a fact about it? <laughs> yeah. I have one fact <laughs> about it. You ready? Ooh, yeah. <laughs> there wasn't a lot about it. All right, in a television interview in 2005, Bridget Fossey, who played Paulette, revealed that the film had originally been shot as a short, and then it was later decided to extend it into a feature film. Unfortunately, she had lost her milk teeth, and George Pujoli, who plays Michelle, had had his hair cut for a different pl- movie he was in. So in many scenes of the movie, Paulette has false teeth, and Michelle is wearing a wig. Wow. I know. I was like, Never I caught that. I didn't catch that Never noticed all. that. Wait. Why didn't you write down the whole reason I chose this movie? Oh, I don't know why you chose this movie. Well, now I don't. I thought it wasn't. Oh, this is frustrating now. Oh, about the Venezuela Festival? Yeah. I have that under the awards section. Okay. But that's why I chose it. It's okay. like. Yes. I'm sorry. It won the Golden Lion at the Venice Film Festival. Yes. And it got a special Oscar award for foreign language film this year. Yes. So that's why I chose it. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'm, I'm sorry. I just, I just want to make sure like there was noted somewhere. Yeah. I have it in my, it wasn't just some that. random French film I chose to include. <laughs> well, you know how you just like sad foreign movies. So sure. <laughs> um, but yeah, so yeah, just, uh, cause it got a lot of praise, but, um, and it got a special nomination at the Oscars. That's how I've been kind of picking my supplementals lately. Mm-hmm. Seeing like what, what was at the Oscars, but didn't necessarily. And at this time they did not have a category for a foreign language film. So it was yeah. an out of competition win, for but sure. it was honored for sure so what did you think of the movie Devin? i thought it was a sad foreign movie uh i literally went into this this was your pick for our supplemental episode uh so i went into i knew nothing about it i had no idea what it was about at all i hadn't even read a synopsis yet and so i was and i, th- I went into it expecting it to be sad and foreign because you picked it but <laughs> and it was but it was also it was a really interesting film because it was also had a lot of funny moments but i i don't want to call it like dark comedy because i feel i mean like it was no no no. but it is like they were like it was sad things happening and yet they were like mining it for comedy do you know what i mean and there's like these children essentially are bonding they're creating a cemetery for dead animals in this mill and then they're stealing crosses from various places for their cemetery and um and so that's a weird thing for children to bond over, but it, I don't know. It just was really, really interesting. It was like funny mm-hmm. and weird and then very sad. And I think, I think it's moving in that it's about the war, but it's told primarily from these children's point of view of them trying to, of their understanding of death or of grieving and anything like that like it's just an interesting perspective to take where they're not fully invested in what's going on because they don't fully understand it but they understand it enough to like have to cope with it right right but then how do they they don't do it as adults no they still do it as kids as like play essentially yes i mean yeah i mean i i imagine in 1952 a lot of uh countries you know u.s obvious and france included have probably seen a lot of war pictures mm-hmm. um but yeah to take the yeah the, the the other kind of perspective and and tell it from from a child's eyes deep within the the fight itself is is interesting it's super interesting mm-hmm. 
and I really like I really liked the premise. Like the dog stuff at the beginning was a little. Uh, You're very concerned. About I was that dog. very concerned about that <laughs> dog. I still I don't know what practice was practices were used in 1950s France about the treatment of animals. I mean, it uh, seemed to me the dog was asleep. You know how when dogs sleep, they dream and then they're like. But they like put that dog to sleep. Yes, they sedated that dog. Th- to that doesn't sleep. sound like a fun thing to do. I know, like, but I don't think they like killed the dogs. You know what I, I mean? don't know. What if they did and they just told her, oh, no, he's still alive. Yeah, just carry him around with you for a while. I'm not saying that that happened. And I'm sure that would have been in the, your weird facts. Yeah, probably. I was looking for that. I was like, I want to see if there's anything about this dog. And there wasn't. So. Yeah, no. Um. But yeah, it was just like a pleasant surprise because I really didn't know anything about it either going in. Like I knew it was supposed to be sad. I didn't even think it like was that sad. It just, it overall has this like dark, you know, effect to it because it's just this thing that no one really wants to think about, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, you're right. I thought it was like pretty funny throughout, which I, I actually really appreciated um, because there's humor in it. Like, like, have you honestly ever been to a funeral and not laughed? Yeah. Oh. Well, I haven't, so <laughs> makes me sound like a terrible person. But I don't mean like, and sorry, I said funeral, but I meant like a visitation when people get there to celebrate someone's life. Like, sure. yes, you're surrounded by this death, but everybody's making jokes or not everybody, certainly not everybody. Yeah, I kind of, I back myself into a corner here. Um, I just think, you know, there's obviously light within all darkness, you know what I mean? And so I, it, when it was, it was funny, it was just like a nice little break from the the dread yeah that sat you know above everything i think a lot of it is because like kids this, i don't know like kids are just funny they're naturally like not yeah, gonna take exactly. things seriously they're just like plain and yeah so yeah for sure and i mean Dude. the idea of children stealing crosses for like dead snails <laughs> is funny so yeah, like- it is it truly it truly and there's this great like there's this great like neighbor feud that's like yeah. the greatest thing. it's such a simple idea but it it's honestly a plot point that's insane yeah. to me <laughs> um <laughs> i just i adored it uh but like i mean i would say though without um without paulette's performance played by uh you know young bridget fossey Mm-hmm. Uh, Brigitte sure. I uh, <laughs> man, I don't know if this movie would have worked, but she is honestly so fantastic. She's so good for so being so young. Yeah. And I, I, one of the things I read the the casting call, like the call for what they wanted, they said they wanted a girl between nine and eleven, and she was six, but she still went to the audition, uh-huh. and they saw her and cast her immediately. So I mean, that character is supposed to be older even than she is. But interesting, yeah. She's so good. Which that would have been a different dynamic too if she was a little bit older. Because then like she would have been like, like the same age as Michelle. She, if she was yeah, if she was like Michelle's age, like it would maybe it would have been like a cutesy, you know, first puppy love type thing. Yeah, but in this, it was but like he was felt, really like taking care. Yeah, of Yeah, exactly. So I think honestly, good choice that maybe benefited the movie. And they, I mean, like they as children were so good together too. You know what I mean? Like there was like I don't want to say like chemistry, but they had like a, like a brother sister. You know what I mean? Like there yeah. was like a good bond between them. I mean they were the best performances in the movie well they're the leads of that movie yeah essentially. no for sure but and to have like a six-year-old be the lead of a movie is honestly crazy yeah but it was really good <laughs> it was it was every time her big old eyes filled with tears oh my she breaks was, your heart she was fantastic and then a part of me too like you were worried about what they did to the dog I was like what did they do to this little girl to make her cry <laughs> like, oh <what>? no 
I think she just I've honestly there there was something about her that it's just like you knew it was just like pure talent. Yeah. Like the girl just has it. And man uses it to great effect. Mm-hmm. But yeah. Don't really have anything to add to that. Okay. Do you I would know recommend though. It's impossible to find. But well, if you, you rented do, do it come from Netflix. It. Yeah. So it's not impossible. <laughs> No one has Netflix subscription anymore. I mean, sure. I mean, a DVD subscription. It was a Criterion. I don't think it's a Criterion. Like, it was, like, the one we rented was Criterion, but yeah, I don't know. If I it's think like it's, currently it's, for it's sale. not made a Blu ray transfer, so I'm assuming it's out of print. Yeah. You want to know what other people think about it? I sure do. Alrighty. It has a Rotten Tomatoes audience score of 92%, a critic score of 100%, but that is out of only 15 reviews, and it does not have a critic's consensus. At the box office, it made $36.8 million. I'm going to assume that's accounting for re-releases, because that's a lot of money. Um, as far as awards, as we said, it won an out-of-competition award for Best Foreign Language Film at the Oscars. It won the Golden Lion at the Venice Film Festival and a Best Film from Any Source at the British Academy Film Awards. Um, it has not been named to any notable lists, though. Interesting. Mm-hmm. All right, next. Speaking of movies not named to any notable lists. Dude. <laughs> Your jokes are killing me tonight. Because <laughs> they're so funny, I know. Yeah. <laughs> Singing in the Rain. <laughs> Directed by Stanley Donan. Sure. Sure. And Gene Kelly. Uh, written by Betty Comden and Adolph Green. What a glorious feeling. <laughs> in 1927, Hollywood, a silent film production company and cast make a difficult transition to sound. That's a good synopsis. It is. And dancing. I should conclude that. There's also dancing. There's plenty of dancing. Dancing. Some too. singing, some dancing, some rain. <laughs> All righty. Facts about Singing in the Rain. There was a lot more information about this movie than the other two. <laughs> uh, Arthur Freed, the head of the Freed unit at MGM, responsible for the studio's glossy and glamorous musicals, conceived the idea of a movie based on the back catalog of songs written by himself and Nacio Herb Brown. Because many of the songs had originally... You know what? You know what doesn't really get appreciated enough? Our My music. <laughs> yeah. You know what would be great? If, if I made money off these songs I wrote. Uh, because many of the songs had originally been written during the time when silent films were giving way to talkies and musicals were popular with audiences, Comden and Green came up with the idea that the story should be set during that transitional period in Hollywood, an era they were intimately familiar with. So not only are we going to reuse these songs, but we're not going to change a damn thing about them. So please set them during an era that makes sense. Right. I don't want. I don't want to put any extra work into this. I rewrote them. They're good. We don't need to write anything else. Uh, In the sequence in which Gene Kelly dances and sings the title song while spinning an umbrella, splashing through puddles, and getting soaked with rain, Kelly was sick with a 103 degree fever. The water used in the scene caused Kelly's wool suit to shrink during filming. A common myth. Wait, I thought this was like the same fact. This is a, are we? This is all facts about this scene. Scene. Okay, gotcha. A common myth is that Kelly managed to perform the entire song in one take thanks to cameras placed at predetermined locations. However, this is not the case. Filming the sequence took two to three days, which sucks when so you're we, sick. So he didn't have a fever the whole time. No one had a fever three days of 103. I don't know. 
Okay. Another myth Conflicting is facts. Maybe by day day. three, he had a fever because he'd been in water for... Yeah, that's probably (laughs) it. Another myth is that the rain was mixed with milk in order for the drops to show up better on camera, but the desired visual effect was produced, albeit with difficulty, through backlighting. Uh, Debbie Reynolds was not a dancer when she made Singing in the Rain. Kelly apparently insulted her for her lack of dance experience, which upset her. In a subsequent encounter with Fred Astaire, when Fred Astaire was in the studio, he found Reynolds crying under piano. Hearing what had happened, Astaire volunteered to help her with her dancing. Kelly later admitted that he had not been kind to Reynolds and was surprised that she was still willing to talk to him. After shooting the good morning routine, which had taken from 8 a.m. until 11 p.m. to shoot, Reynolds' feet were bleeding. Years later, she was quoted as saying that singing in the rain and childbirth were the two hardest things I ever had to do in my life. (laughs) (laughs) That's it. Sad side note. Yeah. I just, I just, like, having you saying that just made me remember that, like, she saw her daughter die, and that's just very depressing to me now. Yeah. That is sad. <laughs> she shouldn't have had to bury her child. All right. Um, she died the day after her. So I know. She bury I know. Her, but. Right. Well, that's true. <laughs> but um, okay. It really um, sucked for Billy Lord. Is who it sucked for? <laughs> damn. This is depressing. It is. <laughs> uh, but uh, that's the one you watched Singing the Rain for the first time was when Debbie Reynolds. Yes. Passed away. Yes. In 2018, 2017. When did that happen? I don't know. 2017, 2018. What is time? Who knows? We sound so dumb right now. Anyway, <laughs> Devin, what did you think of Singing in the Rain? Uh, well, I've seen it before. This is probably my third or fourth time seeing it. Fifth. I don't know. I've seen it a lot. And I think, uh, as many people think, I think it is one of the greatest movie musicals of all time. I think that it is that era of musicals of like the big numbers and the bright colors and the dancing. I think this is like the epitome of that entire style of musical filmmaking. I think it's Gene Kelly at the top of his game. I think it's got some of the most iconic musical numbers in any movie musical of any time. I think that the plot still holds up because it's still funny. It's about Hollywood. I think the whole thing is like an, a love letter to Hollywood it kind of reminds me, you know, with Hail Caesar, where, you know, they're going around to different, like, studio sets, and it's, like, an homage to all the different kinds of old Hollywood movies. And this, like, kind of feels like that, too, where you have a bunch of different, you're, like, going around to different sets, and it's just an homage to silent films, to the transition, to musicals, to... Yeah. To everything. Why didn't it win an Academy Award for Best Picture? You know, Why was it know. included amongst the nominees? It really wasn't a hit when it first came out. Um, it did okay, but it wasn't... Really? And I don't know, because it's MGM. Oh, it was an MGM film, which Bad and the Beautiful was too, so I don't know if they just put all their power behind that, because oh. they thought that was more likely to win things than this. I don't know. Because it is crazy. Yeah, and I, I don't mean, know, it's like, it literally seems like it's Oscar bait. Yeah, when I don't like the year or so year or two before was when an American Paris won. So I don't know if they were like, oh, Gene Kelly already got his Oscars. We don't need to like give his mm. new movie Oscars. I don't yeah, know. But yeah. I don't know. Yeah, it, it sounds like it's just like kind of. I'd be curious because it has to be. Yeah, it has to be like behind the scenes reasons, not quality. You know. Well, I mean, it really didn't. It wasn't that popular when it came out. Well, that's crazy. <laughs> Sure. There's some shit nominees this year. <laughs> That's true. That's very true. And uh, 
Well, that's what they liked and that singing, year. <laughs> and out of all the movies that, you know, like Singing in the Rain is by far the most popular and, and beloved. Yes, it is withstood the test of time much more than any of the other nominees or winner or anything. So, yeah. What do you think of Singing in the Rain, Kyle? Uh, same thing I thought about the first time I watched it. I think it's a masterpiece. I think it is delightful. I think I love the, just like with Bad and the Beautiful, like the kind of Hollywood tale. Um, I didn't know why they chose to set it in the talky transition, but <laughs> now that I know that, that's really interesting. Uh, but that's what I love about it. I mean, I love it that it's that, you know, kind of figuring things out. The voice is, is it a, a hilarious plot point. Like, yeah. She was nominated for, um, what's her name? Jean something. She was played Lena Lamont. She was nominated for best supporting actress, which I think is like super fair. Cause I think her performance is one of the best parts of this movie yeah gene hagen thank you her voice i mean it's hysterical every time yeah she's no like, it I is it truly is funny him. she's a scene stealer and it's funny because she's a scene stealer in uh in singing in the rain but she's the problem with the movie in yeah <laughs> in the movie which i i think is is really uh is really funny um but yeah you know it's just it's the same reason like the artist later won you know, an Academy Award. It's just, it's the same plot, basically. You know, yeah. so it's just scary. Your voice is, is what's going to hold you back. Like who you are is what's going to hold you back after you've already had some some stardom and fame um, in this new transition. Uh, Which did happen to plenty of actors. Exactly. Silent I, think it's, I think it's a great, you know, I just think it's a great example. I, I mean, I do love what they are. They're very different movies, obviously. Um, but yeah, I mean, I just, it's it's wonderful. It's absolutely wonderful. For all the for all the obvious reasons, because everybody's seen this movie. Yeah. We're not turning you on to Singing in the Rain. No, I don't think okay? people are be like, Singing in the Rain, never heard of it. I yeah. Didn't... Gene who? Gene who? If you're listening to this podcast, I'm going to assume you've seen Singing in the Rain. Yeah. <laughs> or you're really, really bored. Uh, yeah, and if not, go watch it immediately. Yeah. <laughs> Stop listening to this podcast and just watch that movie. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, I mean, I, there's really not a lot to like. This is like I always have so much more to say about movies that I dislike than movies that are like really good. Because I mean, sure. How many times can you like it's great? The, this movie is worth it alone. Do I, skip Gene Kelly. Skip Debbie Reynolds. Donald O'Connor <laughs> for his make him laugh. Yes. Performance is worth the the price alone. Okay. Yeah, that is. One, I mean, that's one of the most iconic scenes. Absolutely. By the way, what is this movie streaming on right now? So if anybody wants uh, to watch it's it. on HBO Max, I believe. All right, so if you have HBO Max, go check it out. Seriously, yes, it's not gonna hurt. Which means it's also probably just on HBO. Probably. I don't know, but Singing in the Rain. Hmm. Is there anything else you want to say about? No, it? No, there's not. All right. Well, let's see what other people said about it. A lot. Okay. It has a Rotten Tomatoes audience score of 95%, a critic score of 100%, and that's based on 63 reviews. And the critics' consensus reads, Clever, incisive, and funny, Singing in the Rain is a masterpiece of the classical Hollywood musical. The box office made $7.2 million. Wow. Yeah, that is not a lot. No. <laughs> it was nominated for two Oscars, uh, Supporting Actress and Score, and one zero. But let's talk about its legacy. All right. The American Film Institute didn't leave this off a single list they ever made. So here we go. 
On their original list of the 100 greatest films, it ranked at number 10. On their anniversary list, it ranked at number 5. On their list of 100 laughs, it ranked at number 16. On their list of 100 passions, it ranked at number 16. On their list of 100 greatest songs, at number 72 was Good Morning. At number 49 was Make Them Laugh. And at number 3 was Singing in the Rain. And on their list of the 100 greatest musicals, they ranked it number 1. Uh, Singing in the Rain has appeared twice on Sight and Sound's list of the 10 best films of all time in 1982 and 2002. Its position in 1982 was at number four on the critics list. On the 2002 critics list, it was listed at number 10 and it tied for 19 on the director's list. And in 1989, Singing in the Rain was one of the first 25 films selected by the United States Library of Congress for preservation in the National Film Registry. Excellent. Yeah. People agree with us. Yeah. All right, so now's the time when we say, do any of these movies deserve to be nominated for Best Picture? I mean, yes, Devin. Obviously, <laughs> obviously, Singing in the Rain. And yeah, I wouldn't... I know it kind of goes against what I said earlier, but I didn't really mean it. I think also Bad and the Beautiful. Yeah, I fully agree. Because, I mean, it was a really weak year for Best Picture nominees, in my opinion, and Best Picture winner. So I think Singing in the Rain and Bad and the Beautiful definitely probably could have taken the place of ivanhoe and honestly the greatest show on earth <laughs> which was <Yes>. so <laughs> i i can't agree with that more and do you think any of these films deserved to win best picture yes i do Devin. which one singing in the rain i agree i think without a doubt if you're looking at the best film of 1952 it's singing in the rain so sorry academy you got it very very wrong All right, that's it. That's our supplemental episode. Thank you for listening. We'll be back next week with a regular episode talking about uh, the best films of 2002. Awesome. See you then. Bye, guys.